0: The School of Ministry and Leadership is the meeting from Potter's Family Chapel where we gather week after week to peer into the Word of God to understand whether or not it has anything to say to our leadership. And time after time, the Word proves that indeed it does. You see, in the beginning, God created man and woman and He blessed them both and commanded them to have dominion over every created thing in the earth and to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. This is a call to leadership, for us to steward our God-given gifts and talents to cultivate the field He's called us to for His glory. We all have the seed of leadership in us, and God wants you to be equipped to lead, because the world needs you right now. No matter who you are, it's my prayer that as you listen, and as you begin to believe, you will see yourself growing as a leader. God bless you and God bless your leadership. So let me start by telling you that a few weeks ago, I had to travel. And the place that I was going to was quite far. It was 11.5 hours on an airplane, so you can imagine. Uh, and so I was able to watch a few movies. Now, for those of you who don't really know uh, me that well, I don't really watch movies. I don't watch television. Um, it's not, it's not a, a moral or an ethical point. I just really don't have the time. But normally, the only place where I ever do get a chance to watch movies is when, is when I'm on an airplane. And usually, by the time I get on the airplane when I'm traveling for work, I'm so exhausted by the time that I get on the plane that that literally I fall asleep even before the airplane takes off. I normally wake up when they're coming around giving out the nuts and the drinks. And so when I'm looking for a movie to watch on the flight, I'm usually looking for something that's not going to be too intellectually taxing. I want something that's gonna allow me to entertain. I basically want something that's totally different from my day-to-day life. So I normally choose something from Marvel Universe or something like that, you know, superheroes. But on this flight, I watched a really excellent movie. It's called The Woman King. Some of you have probably already seen it. If you've not seen it, I'm not gonna give much of the story away, so I recommend it to you. But it was entertaining for so many reasons. Now, it's a historical fiction, so that means that it's a movie that's based a little bit on on historical facts, but then it's blended with a lot of storytelling. So, of course, to make a nice, neat story that lasts for 90 minutes, that has a clean beginning, middle, and an end, throw in a little bit of romance, it's not totally factual. But actually, this story about the woman king draws on uh, truth from history from the the kingdom of Dahomey, which is current day Benet, um, where there was a, a, an army of, of women warriors who served the king and th- this uh, army of women, they existed at the time when the, the colonial uh, powers were coming from Europe. And, and so that's what the story is about. And so not only was this movie entertaining uh, because of the story, I mean, it was very well done uh, visually. You know, the the costumes and the, the dresses were wonderful. I, I'm, I'm sure that whoever the costume designer is probably won awards. Um, the guy who played the king did an excellent job and he had a really great Nigerian accent. I'm sure it was lost on many of the American audiences, but I thought he was fantastic. But there's a scene in the movie And this is now where we're getting down to the business. There's a scene in the movie where the young women who have been trying and going through the training to, to get into this army, it's their graduation ceremony. And so they need to go through the final exam of all the training that they've been going through in order for them to see who is fit to serve the king. So I just want to repeat that. They want to know who is fit to serve the king, let that that begin to tickle your spirit. Who is fit to serve the king? And so the first obstacle that the young women have to go through is they need to run through a wall of thorns. And this is not a long scene, I mean, this is not the the arc of the the movie, the storyline, but it's it's just a few minutes, it's probably a minute. But in this scene, as you are watching these young women run through this wall of thorns, you realize that The wall is not just a bush, that the thorns are real. That as the women begin to run through this wall of thorns, the pain from the thorns scratching at them, pricking them, biting them, the women are trying to maneuver their way to get through this wall of thorns and it's slowing them down, it's hindering them. And as they try to avoid the prick of one thorn, another thorn pricks them that the thorns get tangled in their hair, that the thorns scratch their arms, that the thorns bite at their feet. And as I said, even though this was not the main storyline, somehow this scene really, really ministered to me. And so tonight we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about what does it mean for us to go through the wall of thorns. And before we go any further, let's just acknowledge those who we need to acknowledge. First of all, you've come to the School of Ministry and Leadership with prophet Alex Armstrong and we want to recognize the prophet and the man of God, wherever he is. We wanna thank God for his life and we wanna thank God for his um, vision in granting us an opportunity every Monday night to come and to learn, to study the Bible and apply it. It's the application of, of how can the word of God make us better leaders wherever we find ourselves. So we acknowledge the man of God, Prophet Alex Armstrong. We also want to acknowledge the woman of God, Mrs. Yurika edam Armstrong. We wanna thank God for her life. We wanna ask God to continue to pour out fresh oil upon her, upon her head and upon her hands and over her heart. And we also wanna recognize Reverend Apisa and thank him for being here regularly and thanking him for all of the oversight he gives to all of the branches, amen. So we're talking tonight about the wall of thorns. And as I warned, we're going to move very quickly this evening. So keep up with me. Don't sleep. And tonight is really a teaching for those who are bold enough to be honest with themselves. When we think about the thorns in our life and how we move through them and what it means and and why God even calls us to do such a thing, it takes a little bit of, of courage, for us to be honest with ourselves. And the reason why we want to be honest is so that we can allow the Holy Spirit to begin to change us. So let's look at our scripture this evening. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon us. Father, we are your people, we are your children gathered here this evening. And Holy Spirit, even as you begin to hover over this assembly and create something new, even as you begin to speak to the deepest recesses of our heart to call forth the light that is hidden therein. Lord, we trust what you will speak to us this evening. We trust, Lord, that this word will encourage the one who needs encouragement, that it'll correct the one who needs correction, that it will reprove the one who needs reproof, that it will remind the one who's forgotten. Father, as we come to you, we ask you to bind anything that would prevent us from receiving this word. We ask you to bind anything that would puff itself up against the knowledge of Christ. We ask the Lord that no flesh would glory in your presence. That it would be just the purity of your word and your purposes and your will for each and every one gathered here this evening, Lord, to understand what it is that you require of us to do so that our lives would be pleasing to you. I believe you for it, Lord. I trust you for it. I thank you for it with so much gratitude. May we be humbled beneath your mighty hand this evening. In the mighty name of Jesus, we've prayed. Amen and amen. So let's start by understanding what is a thorn. We all know what a thorn is. A thorn is a stiff, sharp, pointed, woody projection usually found on the stem of a plant or another part of the plant. And the story of thorns feature in humanity since the time of the fall. We turn all the way back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis. Chapter three, verse 17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Now notice that when God gave Eve her punishment in the verse before, in the verse 16, God speaks to the woman. The verse 16 says, to the woman he said. But in the verse 17, we see that the Bible records that God spoke to Adam. God did not speak to the man as he spoke to the woman. He speaks to Adam. And so we understand from this that God is speaking to the Adamic nature. God's not speaking to the creature in this verse. And so therefore he's speaking to all who share in this Adamic nature. And so therefore God is speaking to you and I. And so this word that the Lord is speaking that the ground will produce thorns for you. We see that that word has followed the line of God's people ever since we left the Garden of Eden. When we turn to Numbers chapter 33, Verse 50, we see that it says, on the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, drive out all the inhabitants of the land before you, destroy all their carved images and their cast idols and demolish all their high places, take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given you the land to possess. And in the verse 55, the Lord continues, But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will give you trouble in the land where you live. And then I will do to you what I plan to do to them. I will do to you what I plan to do to them. Uh Uh-oh. So what does God plan to do to the thorns? We need to know this. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 12. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 12. The peoples will be burned to ashes Like cut thorn bushes, they will be set ablaze. So we see here that thorns are for burning. Why would God burn the thorns? Well, God burns the thorns because they were never part of God's plan for humanity. When we return back to the Garden of Eden, we see that Adam wasn't naming the thorns, Adam was naming the plants. the trees and the shrubs. These pointy bits that grew on the roses, they only appeared after sin had entered the soil. And so we see that the thorns live in the land, that the thorns live in the land. But because God is a king, he doesn't retract his previous word. So he doesn't retract that word that says that The land will produce thorns for you. The land will produce thorns because of you. What God does do is he gives a new word to overwrite the former word. Now remember Esther's story when King Xerxes had sent out a circular in all the provinces of Shushan that all of the Jews were to be killed on a particular day. And we remember that story after everything that happens with Haman and his plots and Esther and her fasting. We don't see the king canceling the first circular. What we see the king doing is issuing a second circular. And in the second circular, what the king says is, is that the Jews have the right to rise up and defend themselves a day before. So the king doesn't retract his former word. What he does is he issues a a second word or a new word in order to counter the previous one. And we see that God does the same thing for us, that in order to counter the effect of the thorn, God gives us a new word. We see this word in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 10. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thornbush, will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever hallelujah so what is a juniper tree for when we look at the juniper tree we see that the juniper tree is for healing and then what is the myrtle tree for that the myrtle tree is an evergreen tree it's a tree that gives off fruit gives off blueberries that are edible but it also gives off a very strong fragrance and because it's so bushy and green it's often used for adornment So God promises that instead of thorn bushes, there will be the juniper and the myrtle. In other words, he's saying that instead of thorns, there will be health. And instead of thorns, there will be life and there will be abundance and there will be fruit and there will be beauty. And so when we look at this word that the Lord says that his word will not return to him empty, that it will accomplish what he desires to achieve the purposes for which he sends it. This new word that we see in the prophet Isaiah is the new word that God gives for us to fulfill our assignments. It's the word that God gives for us to fulfill our purposes. And so when we think about what it means to push through the wall of thorns, we come to understand that pushing through this wall, pushing past this wall of thorns is about Fulfilling your assignment. So if you keep the old word, if you stick to the former word, you get what it demands, that the land will produce thorns for you. If you're like the the Jews who lived in the provinces and you had only read the first circular, you hadn't read the second circular, You would understand that death is coming for you, but you wouldn't know that you have been given the right to bear arms and fight. And if you hadn't received the second circular, and you did not know that you had the right to bear arms and fight, you will die. If we look at Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 31. It says, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed, and I learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. And so the practical wisdom of this proverb is, don't fall asleep on the wrong side of the wall of thorns. Don't fall asleep on the wrong side of the wall of thorns. We know, of course, that prosperity is the opposite of poverty and scarcity. And so poverty and scarcity are on the side of the folding of the hands to rest. But prosperity is on the other side of that. Prosperity is on the side of promise. Prosperity is on the side of promise. Prosperity is on the other side Prosperity is in the promise. And here's something that I had always misunderstood. I always thought that you were trying to get into the promise. When we stand with Joshua at the River Jordan, and he's trying to figure out how's he going to get 2 million ex-slaves across this flooded, roaring river. Joshua has led the people of Israel to the point where they are crossing the Jordan into the promised land. They're crossing over into Canaan. And so in my mind, that wall of thorns was always about entry. We seek to get into the promised land. But what I'm understanding now from this teaching is that the wall of thorns is actually about exit that the thorns are not a wall to keep you out of the promise. The thorns are a wall to keep you inside your prison. And so when we think about Egypt, we think that Egypt, in fact, is your comfort zone. Egypt is the place that you've always been. Egypt is the place where you came from. They've got leeks and onions in Egypt. And the Israelites complained. They said, why did we come out here to die? They thought that it was better to die with the vegetables they knew than to die out there with the milk and the honey that was foreign to them. The Israelites admitted that, yes, there might be slave drivers in Egypt. But there are giants in the promise. Hmm. So what do we do? Have you ever noticed that this is why they put barbed wire, essentially metallic thorns, around prison fences? It's not to keep people out of the prison. It's to keep people in the prison. And when you get that concept, it totally begins to shift your understanding about what you're trying to do. Now there are some times when things are difficult for me and I hear myself sort of breathing (laughs) deeply and and one of the things that I will often say to myself is, is that I'm not gonna die out here, you know? I need to get into my promise. I'm not gonna die out here. I'm gonna get into my promise. But I'm not gonna say that anymore because it's not about getting into the promise. I'm not gonna die out here. Changes to, I'm not gonna die in here. I'm gonna get out of this prison. And if we look at what was said in Proverbs, that the sluggard, a little rest, a little slumber, a little sleep, a little folding of the hands, and the thorns take over. So if you fall asleep in the prison, you will die. If you fall asleep in the prison, you will die. Acts chapter 16, verse 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them, speaking of Paul and Silas, to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet to the stocks. At about midnight, so at the time when they should have been sleeping, at the time when they should have been resting, at the time when they should have been folding their hands for a little slumber. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So if you ever get this, if you ever get this, that you're not gonna fall asleep in the prison, you actually give permission to those who are around you to also feel that they too are not going to die in the prison. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose, amen. So, Paul says that insults is a thorn. Hardships is a thorn. Persecutions is a thorn. Difficulties is a thorn. And to that list, we can add rejection is a thorn. Abandonment is a thorn. Betrayal is a thorn. Disloyalty is a thorn. Familiarity is a thorn. No skill is a thorn. No money is a thorn. No friends is a thorn. Not enough time is a thorn. Having to start over from scratch is a thorn. So all of these thorns And yet, Paul says, but for Christ's sake, in other words, because of Jesus, I will glory in my weaknesses. I will believe that his grace is sufficient for me. And this thorn that is in my flesh, that's paining me, that's itching me, that I'm scratching around it, that I've considered cutting out this thorn, I'll leave it in its place. Now here's the thing about the wall of thorns. The first point, you can't think your way through it. When you look at this wall of thorns that you need to move through, you can't think your way through it. You can't think about calculating the angle at which you'll position yourself in order to make it through so that the thorn doesn't cut you because the wall is full of thorns. There's nowhere that you can step, nowhere that you can put your hand, nowhere that you can bend that you're not going to get cut. The point is that there are thorns everywhere. So you can't think your way through, you can't calculate your way through, you can't use a logic or rationale to get through the wall of thorns. Second point, you can't jump over it. This wall is too high, it's too wide. The thorns are too many. You don't have anything to get you over like a pole vault. You don't have anything. There is no other way that you can use something to launch yourself over or crawl over or somersault over or fly over. You can't jump over the wall of thorns. The third point. You can't crawl or dig under. Wall of thorns. Remember, the thorns are in the soil. The thorns are in the humus, the clay, the same material that Adam is made from. In other words, the thorns are in, they're inherent to our human experience, they're inherent to our human condition. The thorns are in us. So you can't calculate your way through. You can't jump over it. You can't crawl under it. You must go through the wall of thorns. Jesus said, I must go through Samaria. Samaria. Jesus said, I must go to Jerusalem. So we must go through the wall of thorns. But if we have to go through the wall of thorns, then what protects us? What will protect us? What will ease the pain of the cutting and the pricking of the thorns. What protects us from the thorns as we go through the wall. And I I want you to understand this. I want you to understand that the thorns will prick. The thorns will draw blood. The thorns will tear your dress. The thorns will get stuck under your skin. The thorns will get stuck in your hair. So what protects us from the thorns, even as we have to go through the wall? What protects us is our zeal, our zeal for the Lord. And this is why Paul got this lesson so clearly, because Paul himself describes himself as the most zealous, there was no Pharisee, no student of Gamaliel, no one at that time in Israel who had more zeal for the Lord than Paul. Paul was happy to travel up and down the country rounding up these followers of the way of this Jesus who they had crucified and people were still following him. Paul was quite happy to travel up and down, rounding them up, throwing them in jail, persecuting the early church. Paul had a zeal for God. His zeal was real. His passion was real. But Paul's zeal, his passion was misplaced. He had the right passion. He had the wrong object. What Paul had been following before he met the risen Christ on that road to Damascus, Paul had been following his traditions. He had been following his culture. But once Paul learned who God really was, once he met the risen Christ, he converted that same passion into fulfilling his assignment. Paul always had an inkling of what his assignment was, but the object was wrong, therefore his methods were wrong. But once he stood corrected, he was able to take that same passion, that same zeal, that zeal that was unmatched In Jerusalem, in those days, and he was able to convert it into the fulfilling of God's purpose and the fulfilling of his assignment. And so, the question that I would ask you this evening is what are you following so passionately that has all your strength, all your attention, most of your money, much of your perfectionistic tendencies? What is that thing that you are so wrapped up in, but is perhaps not? God's assignment for you. So it's a question, and I'm going to leave that with you for you to meditate on. You're zealous for something, but is it the assignment that God has given you? Is it the word that has gone out from the heavens that is hovering on you, that is not going to return to him empty? Is it the right word? And we see another man of God, we see the prophet Elijah when he goes to Horeb after his amazing output on Mount Carmel. And we remember the story that Elijah travels for 40 days, he's exhausted, he's burnt out, he needs a good nap because he's worn out. Jezebel is chasing him, she has sworn to end his life. And even though Elijah was able to call down fire from heaven, and even though he was able to remove the 400 prophets of Baal, to show them to be false, to show Baal to have no power and to kill these prophets of Jezebel. In other words, Elijah had done a great sign and wonder in Israel in those days. Elijah, burnt out, travels to the mountain of God. He goes to Horeb. And in this exchange between the Lord and Elijah, we have of course the mighty feats of nature. We see the wind and we see the earthquake and we see the fire and of course God's voices Not in any of those, but then Elijah hears this small, still voice. He hears a whisper. And the Lord asks Elijah, he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah was just so burnt out from his assignment or what he thought was his assignment. But the Bible tells us something very interesting. It tells us that when Elijah comes out of the cave, he wraps his cloak around his face. And when the Lord asks him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Elijah says, I've been very zealous for you. I'm exhausted. There's no one left. I'm the only one doing all the work. I've been zealous. And then the Lord asks him again, and he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And still with his cloak wrapped around his face. Elijah repeats the same thing. He says, Lord, I've been zealous. I've been zealous for you and I'm I'm tired, you know. I've been I've been doing the work and it's only me and there's no one else and I'm exhausted. But what we see in this exchange is is that what Elijah wraps around himself is his zeal for the Lord. And we are to wrap our zeal for the Lord around us as a cloak. At this point, Elijah is moving through this wall of thorns. He's physically tired. He's a little confused. He didn't have the support that he needed. He didn't understand the fullness of his assignment. He had no one to interpret it for him at that point. But he doesn't use his zeal like a blanket. You see, when you wrap a blanket around you, it's, it's for comfort. But Elijah doesn't wrap a blanket around him at this point, his lowest point. He wraps the cloak around him. And so zeal is a cloak. You put on your cloak not when you're seeking comfort, but you put on your cloak when you are getting ready to go out, when you're getting ready to move, when you're stepping out because you want something to protect you from the elements. If it's a cold day, you need your cloak. If it's a rainy day, you need your cloak. If it's a little bit sunny in the morning, but you're not sure what the temperature is gonna be like by midday, you you take your cloak. And what's so redeeming about the story between Elijah and the Lord is, is that even though Elijah's been zealous, and even though the Lord says, you're actually not supposed to be here because I still have an assignment for you, and it's not everything that you've understood about your assignment, just the way Paul had his zeal, but he hadn't understood everything about his assignment. The Lord mercifully gives Elijah the rest of his assignment. He says, I want you to go and anoint these people and do this and do that. And what's wonderful is is that the scripture tells us, so Elijah went. He was wrapped in his cloak, he was wrapped in his zeal, and he went to continue his assignment. So you must go through the wall of thorns. Why is the wall of thorns non-negotiable? Why is the wall of thorns non-negotiable? John chapter 19, verse two. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And so we see at this point, as Jesus has been beaten and mocked and stripped, and he's about to be nailed to the cross, that they put a crown of thorns on his head. And now this crown was simply symbolic of the wall of thorns that was awaiting Jesus on the cross. We started off by defining a thorn as being a sharp, pointy, wooden bit on the stem of a plant. And we see that the cross was essentially a gigantic thorn. It was a stiff, sharp, pointy, wooden object. And the cross was the place where Jesus would physically go through what it meant to carry all of the sin of all of humanity for all time. And I just want to pause there and I just want us to think about that. All of humanity. So we're not just talking about the 8 billion people on the face of the planet now. We're talking about all those who have ever graced the face of the earth. We're talking about all the sin, so not just the fact that you lied or you stole, or you did this thing, it wasn't nice, all the sin. And I know that we don't like to think about these things, but do you know the kinds of things that people are doing? Do you know the kind of perversion that exists on the earth today? Do you know the kinds of things that people are doing with robots or with animals or with their siblings? Strange, strange, perverted, disgusting, inhuman things. And this is all part of the sin that Jesus took upon himself. But as horrible as that might sound to us, or as much as we don't want to imagine it, the greatest cut was not from these things. The greatest cut was actually The hours where Jesus hung on the cross, naked and alone, and separated from the Father. And so those few hours where Jesus was totally and utterly alone, he was alone in those moments so that you and I never have to be. That even when we are alone physically, we're not alone spiritually because Spirit tells us that He will never leave us nor forsake us. So why the thorns? Because God is merciful. Because His grace is sufficient. Because no matter the pain, no matter the shame, that Jesus has borne the cost for you and I. That we will go through painful things that some of us are gonna go through terrible, shameful things, to be sure. But nothing, and this is just for us to have the perspective that we need, nothing that we go through in this life will compare to what our king went through when he hung on that cross, when he hung on that pointy piece of wood, when he hung on that thorn. And on that thorn, he wore the crown of thorns and gave us the crown of glory and honor. So, as Paul says, for Christ's sake, we fight through the wall. Yes, we have to get scratched a little. Yes, we have to bleed a little. Yes, we're going to limp a little. Indeed, many of us are the walking wounded in life. But, And remember, there was a but in one of the scriptures we read earlier. But it is better, far, far better, for us to end up on the other side of that wall, having fulfilled our assignment in the place where the juniper and the myrtle trees grow. And in that place, there are no more thorns. And so tonight, I pray for you. I pray that as a leader in God's kingdom, you'll be able to find the strength in weakness, that you'll be able to find the beauty in weakness, that you'll be able to find the joy in weakness, that you will believe that when you are weak, indeed you are strong, not by your own strength, but because God has put his strength upon you because his joy is your strength. That in those moments as you are pushing through the wall of thorns, you will still be able to offer the sacrifice of joy. That as we push through the wall of thorns, we will be delivered from ourselves. As we push through the wall of thorns, we will believe that we're not gonna die in here, in these prisons, but we're going to get through, through the pain, through the scratching, through the blood, through the hindrances, And we'll make it out, out of this prison and truly into the promise. And what's the promise? It's the fulfillment of the assignment that the word that was released about us has been accomplished and that it does not return to the king's throne void. Amen.